Hello, hello. Hey up, what's up, what's good? Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most artistic, athletic, tenacious, basically unique and interesting people in the world. Everyone has a story, each person a scholar. Welcome to season three. As we continue to seek out some of the most unforgettable humans, some of the most memorable stories, in the first two seasons, the show featured guests from over 60 different countries and will continue down that path because it is imperative that we cherish the differences. And we can only do that by getting out and journeying into unknown frontiers, whether it be physically or simply through conversation, sharing lovely experiences and saluting the tenacious and resilient guests. We have a brilliant, brilliant episode for you today with one of a kind guest, entrepreneur and founder of Mobot, Lonnie Cooper, joins the show. Uh, we're coming to you live from London in the United Kingdom for the holidays, doing a bit of required self-isolation here in Camden, but it's still been a lovely holiday. Had the chance of catching up with some guests of the show, including watching Trevor Dion Nicholas perform the role of George Washington in Hamilton. It was my first time seeing the show and gotta say I was a bit spellbound. It's been a great time in London, as always, and really excited to introduce today's guest, when I do travel, the introvert in me secretly wants people to strike up a conversation, usually about the book that I'm carrying. I'm always proud to carry a book, and, and hopefully it spurs conversations, and it often does. I'm always incredibly conspicuous when it comes to making sure that the cover is with an eye shot of everybody around. But on a recent trip, it wasn't a book that got people talking. It was my new water bottle, which was sent to me by my pal Lonnie Cooper, who is the founder and CEO of Mobot Nation. Never had I imagined that people would want to chat about me mobile bottle. Sure enough, multiple times, including the very friendly flight attendants of Southwest Airlines. Now, Lonnie is a renowned industry-leading expert in health, fitness, and recovery, and is best known as the CEO and founder of Mobot, the world's first water bottle and foam roller in one. To know or to know someone intensely passionate about the power of prevention, having a positive impact, and delivering the best results for a community, but there's more to her success than first-rate concept design and sports therapy. And it's Lonnie's story that makes Mobot the phenomenon that it is today. Her success is due to a culmination of years as business owners and three successful exits, as well as decades of work in the Australian health industry as a sports therapist, wellness coach, vegan chef, and yoga instructor. Lonnie's inspired desire to approach recovery sustainability saw her launch Mobot out of a garage she rented on the Gold Coast, Australia, her goal was for Mobot to be holistic in its approach to healing, much like her own personal experience, and create a movement around daily recovery. Now, by many measures, Lonnie's a non-conforming wellness rebel. The rules cited by most are simply not written for outsiders, so she broke them. A survivor of real trauma, Lonnie has continued to build her business around her deep sense of empathy and a unique clarity of purpose. Now, in today's conversation, Lonnie talks about the challenges and obstacles that come with creating a business and how failures along the way proved to be a form of elite education. Lonnie also talks about her recovery from a traumatic brain injury and how, in a way, that prepared her for the difficulties of the pandemic. Lastly, Lonnie and I chat about something else that she took up in order to enhance her recovery, but also to develop confidence as a public speaker, and that is performing at comedy shows. Something I was surprised to hear, but yet I truly admire. Really, really fun conversation with Lonnie. She's handled a lot of adversity, and it's quite a success story. And on top of that, she's created a wonderful product, loved by me and many flight attendants alike. It's now my go-to bottle 
and is pretty much always within arm's length. Excited for everyone meet her. So let's go ahead and bring on Lonnie Cooper, founder, CEO of Mobot Nation, and let's learn. Lonnie, you know, when I travel, I always like, when people notice something that I have, usually it's a book, but for the first time in my life, someone noticed me, water bottle, not once, but twice, stopped me, a flight attendant on a recent flight, she fell in love with this water bottle, and it's this water bottle called Mobot. And I was blown away that someone actually cared that much about their water bottle. And this was one of your goals. So tell me about the creation of Mobot and Mobot Nation. How did this come to be? Gosh, I think it was definitely decades of being in the health and wellness and fitness industry mm -hmm. over years. And, you know, as all good things come to fruition, it's usually from frustration. So uh, I was completely frustrated and a little bit excuse intolerant that uh, some of my clients and athletes were unable to find uh, better ways or inspiring ways to drink more water and do their rehab or roll out, and which I, we all know how much it benefit, benefits us. But sometimes if it's not tangible and in front of you to remind you, you know, most of us probably have a foam roller under our bed collecting dust. So I was like, why can't it be pretty and beautiful and in your face and you'd be proud to carry it around and, and think of it as prehabilitation rather than rehab after let's like pre look after ourselves so that was sort of the initial thought i think that was probably lingering in my mind for years but then the the idea came to me after um i had been living in asia and a lot of the i was picking up a lot of plastic on the beach every morning and it was just devastating and so i've always been environmentally conscious and then when I came home and I worked at a fitness event and I swear to God, everybody just at this event for some reason was complaining about not having enough room and they couldn't fit, you know, their water bottle and their shoes and all their gear. And, oh, I forgot this. And I just honestly got home and I was like, there's got to be a better way. And, uh, yeah, kind of hit me and I was like, look, Googled for hours, just like, this has got to have been done. These are two of the most essential things we need, not just if you're an athlete, but for, for good health, um, you know, being hydrated and, and looking after our muscles. And it hadn't been done. So I was like, okay, um, I know the power of, you know, thought and, and energy and ideas. I was like, okay, I need to action this. So um, I pretty much came straight to America and uh, put down for patents and then went to Taiwan door knocking until I found a factory that would take me and my crazy idea uh, to the next stage. So that was the product side of it. Incredible. And one thing that you told me beforehand was that you, you kind of wanted it to be this, this niche thing that other people appreciated. For instance, when I drove a Jeep and you saw another Jeep driver, you gave the nod, you gave that the hand wave or someone riding a Harley Davis or something. You wanted that approach. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, I think the word you might be looking for is healthy cult. <laughs> <laughs> no, precisely precisely <laughs> sign me up i'll drink the kool-aid yeah right um i'm just big into branding and fascinated with um a lot of big companies that do so well and they do really well with their community and they drive something from a point of difference to seemingly cool and how they do it so i'm always like i've always been the kind of person that pulls things apart tries to not re-engineer and go, how did they do that? Why did they do it that way? Is there another way or is there a better way? So for example, um, Harley Davidson, when they like many years ago did their you know, rebrand, uh, not to just be that you were like in a bikey game, so to speak, that you could be an accountant and get into Harley Davidson, get on, on the weekend, change your total, how you feel about you, yourself and life and just the freedom of it. See another person, on a, on a Harley Davidson and um, and have that nod. And I was like, I wonder if you could do that for the, you know, health and wellness sustainability side of community. Because like you said before, no one's probably commented on your water bottle because, you know, 
no one really cared. And, you know, some plastic water bottles and things like that that are piling up in the ocean, we need to care. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the best way to make sure that we do care is when we see someone else that has a similar values um, as us and, and recognise it. And, you know, I recognise in you what you're doing by carrying that and I recognise it in me. We have a connection mm -hmm. and I'm all about connection and community. And it was really interesting to have that thought many years ago and then over the years, like what you said before, and I've had other people say it, how it's they've connected over the water bottle and they've become friends or they hang out and they, you know, I've got that, you've got that, where did you get it from, you know? Um, very, very cool. It's tremendous. And one word that you mentioned in there is just being sustainable. In what ways has sustainability powered Mobot? Um, sustainability for me is not just the environment, it's mm -hmm. personal sustainability. So mm -hmm. I uh, tend to sort of more look inward and that if we are feeling good about ourselves and doing what we can to feel good, we're going to do good. So that was a combination of sustainability for Mobot for me, not just the materials we use. So we use 100% recycled stainless steel, non-toxic foam. A lot of people don't realise that a lot of the foam rollers out there are made of toxic foam. So when they go soft or they no longer work for you and you get rid of it, um, that toxicity is seeping into landfills and things like that. So I tried to make sure that we made something that was durable, non-toxic, vegan glue, that kind of thing, BPA-free. Uh, every sort of point that I've looked at is uh, same with the packaging, you know, recycled and recyclable packaging. Um, you know, the next products that are coming out are all having uh, as much point of difference as we can for sustainability. Earlier, you mentioned that the idea came out of frustration. I feel like that happens so much uh, as far as just uncertainty in this world usually drives innovation. So when you first were starting, what were some of the initial challenges and the crucible that you had to endure through? The show's not long enough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, many. Um, I, I, I'm trying really hard, by the way, not to swear. Sorry about that. Um, uh, you can. Just as long as you, you, gotta, you, you just got to apologize to me, mom, at the same time when you do it. So that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be on Australian not to. Um, no, I will. I tell people that they're, you know, this product is a result of F-ups. It literally is. So the, uh, my original design and idea, this is far from it, from when we went to produce it, then uh, it, was very, it was a lot of hand, handmade. There's still a lot of hands involved in making it still. So even though we're mass producing it now, um, and it was a result of um, a lot of the manufacturing processes that couldn't do it. So we actually got rejected by a lot of factories in the beginning because they said it couldn't be done. Mm. Um, so there was a lot more challenges than I anticipated because in your mind you're like, and a lot of people said to me, oh, it's just foam on a bottle. I was like, right, you go try it. <laughs> yeah. And like, we have a lot of copies out there too. And I can see, like, I'm like, you won't even last six months. They're having exactly the same problems we had in the beginning, trying to get it to the quality standard that it's actually useful and functional for people as well. Um, so yeah, there was years of R&D, uh, much more than I thought, that's for sure. When you don't know the answer, what do you do? What do you turn to? All those times when you're frustrated and you woke up and said, I don't know what I'm doing. What'd you do? Oh, I pray. I pray and I meditate. And, you know, I do believe that, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, people's, you know, crucible experience to that point is there for a reason, whatever passion they or purpose they follow. And it is in there. So I've had a lot of businesses and jobs and stuff before, and I would call on all of those and having great mentors around me. And I think I, I'm a big question asker and I believe the quality of your questions leads to the quality of your answers. So there's a couple of books out there. Like, I think it's called The Book of Beautiful Questions and, and things like that. And I think the better you get 
at asking questions, the better answers you get. And the same for asking yourself or asking someone else. Um, you know, if you kind of ask a flip-floppy question, you get a flip-floppy answer. Mm-hmm. So the more finite and more experience you have, and most of it's through trial and error, error like, a lot of my success now is through absolute failure um, to the bottom of the barrel and then finding my way back up. But definitely a lot of faith. You've got to trust yourself and have confidence, build your confidence because you can be around the campfire with people uh, propping you up. But if they're not there, you've also got to be able to listen and believe in yourself. And that is a big part of entrepreneurship journey. Were all your mentors and the people you asked questions to, were these people that you knew or were some of them maybe authors or people that you just aspired to be or modeled your own mentality after? Look, 99% of them in the beginning were uh, authors, YouTube, um, you know, Google, going to seminars, going to networking, getting my own podcasts and stuff like that, especially in the beginning and also being in a new country where I didn't really know anyone. Mm -hmm. So I would say over the first few years, I didn't really physically meet a lot of mentors. Um, I have now and it's a resource that I value so much. I used to I used to pray to Steve Jobs a little bit back in the okay. day. <laughs> I'm like, what would you do? Like, what should I do? Talk to me. Did that also help emotionally? Oh, definitely. And mm-hmm. I think, yeah, the why net definitely needs to be bigger than making money. Um, that's for sure. And otherwise, it probably would have quit many times. And, then, yeah. and not to say quitting hasn't crossed my mind so, several times, particularly in the last 18 months. Mm. Um, I'm definitely not a, a, a quitter per se, but sometimes you have to know when, when it's time for certain things. And I have had several businesses before that I've had to let go, sell or, you know, stop. Um, so this time I felt like I knew what was uh, worth fighting through. And sometimes you just got to pick your heart. And I chose hard of carrying through. Uh, some people's heart at this stage in the last 18 months was to stop. There's no judgment. It's just um, digging deep and knowing what you can handle because you're literally sprinting a marathon for a very long time. And I know that it's been a difficult 18 months. And it makes me think back to, I know in your history, you, you had a TBI that you came back from. So how did that experience kind of set you up for the difficult time that we have now? Gosh, I think I, I tell people, I was like, oh, my God, I've been preparing for this Spartan race. Oh, my God, bring it. COVID, what? <laughs> pandemic, what? Yeah. Um, I felt like I was definitely in my own pandemic with a traumatic brain injury. Okay. Uh, when the computer goes, everything goes. Okay. And, uh, you know, uh, there's a doc- Dr. Amen is a really great resource for me and when I was coming back from my injury and he talks about, you know, if you're like a broken brain and if your brain's not working, you can put as many supplements, you can feed yourself mindset, health and all that kind of stuff. But if that's not working well, then it's really challenging to get through a lot of things. So, um, yeah, it took a very long time and I think my, my upbringing as an athlete, honestly, um, built up some resilience for me to persevere. Resilience. I know it's a, a key word in your life and it's a key characteristic of you. You've learned a lot as starting Mobot and through other businesses. I, I'm curious, what are some of the lessons that you now know? And again, we might not have enough show time for it, but what are some of the lessons you know now as, as an entrepreneur that you wish you would have known when you first started? Gosh, I, um, I wish I knew the rules of the game in different countries. Oh. And that's um, a little broad, but, um, you know, just because we speak English doesn't mean it's the same. It works the same. And um, I was a little, felt a little slow to that game. I felt like I came over here playing rugby and 
they were playing soccer and I was getting smashed around going, what the hell? Yeah. But then again, if I reversed it around, if someone came to my country and they weren't playing my game and I saw an opportunity to win playing my game, um, mm -hmm. then I'd be like, okay, that's just the rules of the game. So sort of understanding um, business in a, in a different country was that, I mean, that probably doesn't resonate with a lot of people who are, are from here, mm -hmm. but even still when you go into different industries or, or business, there are particular ways that, that things work and it's a lot more structured in America with a less, um, a lot more rules um, than I found at home as you know, we're a little bit rebellious. <laughs> Gosh, as I keep listening to your answers, there's one word that stays in the back of my mind is, and that's confidence. And I'm, I'm curious where that came from. Have you always been confident? Because every step of the way, you've had to have a tremendous amount of confidence and, and faith, especially even moving from one country to another. Where did that come from? Have you always naturally been like that? Or is it something that you actually learned and developed over time? Definitely have not always been like that. It's, mm -hmm. um, it's a particular C word I've struggled with <laughs> as an Australian confidence. Um, and I think it's, um, it's like a, for me, like a, a, like a bank balance or a bank account. And it's something you have to keep filling and you take withdrawals when you fail or defeated or you go through certain things. But if you aren't regularly putting into that account, you're going to be depleted. And it does happen over time. Um, I do believe the people around you and the way that you brought up does make a difference. Um, I don't feel that it was as supportive uh, growing up as a woman wanting to achieve so many things. It was a little bit backward back then. Um, and so I found, I actually found the opposite. It made me angry and I fought back. Why can't I do that? Why, why, why? So it wasn't really confidence. It was just more perplexed at why you would say that because I'm a girl, I can't do that. And what I did love about my brothers and growing up and with a lot of boys at home is that you would compete to a certain level and if you got to their level, they would just kind of give you a bit of a nod, you're part of the club, and then they would get on with it and you would be included. And so once you knew you could achieve that, so I've had to kind of reach to achieve, to play with the boys because there was only really boys uh, around me, which, you know, not mad about, um, but it would have been nice to have that... Um, I don't know, the support to say, yeah, you can do it, which is a big reason why I moved to America, to be honest. I met a couple of Americans when I was living in Thailand and they were so positive and you can do it. And like, oh, I was like, is everyone like this in America? And they're <laughs> no, like, yeah. No. They're like, come over. And I was like, okay. And I did. <laughs> with the difficulties of the last 18 months, I know that you even mentioned you had doubts, especially with new doubts, newfound doubts because of the pandemic. With that and everything, what do you feel is the biggest life lesson you've learned from the last 18 months? Uh, um, in, in business and in life, uh, be where you are. And there's so much pressure, particularly I find here, not just business, but in life, like more, 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 push, push, push. What are your projections? Where are you going? You know, that sort of thing. And um, that's a big thing that tripped me up as soon as um, the pandemic happened. Obviously, where your trajectory was, was no longer. And uh, we never knew how long it was going to go on or what was going to happen. And, you know, really getting comfortable with being where you are, even if it's not where you wanted to be or where you project to be or where you've told people you would be by now. That, um, that actually took me a little bit to get that one to sink in because it's not that I'm overachiever. I, I like to succeed and win and push and improve. And COVID has kind of made you try and be okay with, you know, incremental, very different way to look at different wins and, and and looking outside of just you know excel spreadsheet and monetary wins you know what where else can you look at to pull those um wins and and take a 
I guess, a um, something for the confidence bank account. <laughs> yeah. Most memorable book you've read over the last 18 months? Oh, oh gosh, I've got a few. Um, there's a book by an Aboriginal elder in Australia called Sand Talk. Mm. Amazing. And I actually returned to uh, A Return to Love by Marianne Williamson. I like it because I don't know either. So it's to add to me own list. Back to Mobot, you have a program called the Role Models Program. So what is that and how can people be involved? Um, yeah, we did a cheeky play on words. So mm-hmm. R-O-L-L yeah. are our role models that uh, are rolling around. Um, and so it's our ambassador program. And for me, I've always liked to build community like like family. And so prior to COVID, we're having summits and everybody that's in the community come together. And it's not just about, you know, foam rolling and hydration. It's about who uh, who do you want to become and what, what helps you helps us and vice versa. So in, even in our summit last time, we had uh, comedy and improv, um, you know, instructors come in, um, you know, fitness, breath, breath work and things like that, because I like to look at people, business and life on a whole and on a holistic scale and go, okay, you know, the pieces of the pie that they tell us to look at for a balanced life, which, you know, balanced is, you know, a little bit of a construct sometimes, I think, Um, and make sure that we're, you know, fulfilling in in certain areas so that we don't get, you know, out of whack. Well, I also heard there's another thing that you do for confidence. This this really surprised me, but I also love it. And that's stand-up comedy. So this is fantastic. So how has that helped your confidence and where did the idea come from? Gosh, um, yeah, stand-up comedy is like something else. And it, um, it was a little bit uh, like a, a bucket list goof and not something anyone would ever expect me to do. I'm, I'm kind of more of a natural introvert, but mm-hmm. just, you know, I love being around people. Um, I actually went to several pitch competitions um, for my business and pitching investors and Oh gosh, I was shite, excuse me, but I just was. And I was watching everyone else go through with this confidence and Americans just have this confidence for selfies, pictures and PowerPoint presentations. And I'm like, that is not me. So I was like, okay, I need to get better. I went to Toastmasters and the one I went to was um, not going to cut it quick enough for me. So I was like, okay, what's the hardest thing I could do to improve and rip the bandaid off? So stand-up comedy. I did a writing course here in West Hollywood with a woman that was just phenomenal. I cried every week uh, that I got on stage in my attempt to like get better. And we did a set at the Hollywood Improv and um, felt good. And after that, I thought, okay, I'm going to do this this one time and I'm going to be cured. Uh, no. And then I ha- had a, a guy reach out and say, oh, I saw your set. Would you like to come on board? And uh, so I'm kind of an accidental comedian and was performing at the comedy store uh, up until COVID uh, happened. So I've performed to like two to 200 people now uh, quite regularly. And I just have in my head that, you know, until I'm booed off or not asked back, I will keep going. And I cannot recommend it enough. I actually coach some people now to just at least try a open mic. I've worked with a couple of high performance centers for athletes working on uh, doing a set because it's most people's biggest fear. But I find once you can, if there's something bothering you and you, even if you're not conscious of it, whether you're an athlete and you're on the field or you're in the office and it's deep down, it's bothering you. And then someone either notices it, brings it up or say you're an athlete and you've got to talk to the media. Um, if you don't own that and almost take, make a joke of it first, they'll own you. 
And so that's a big part of like pulling it apart and making light of the troubles that we go through. And some things aren't worth, you don't joke about straight away once you're healed with it, but making light of some of these things and turning into something that we can all laugh about and sharing because we're all going through it. We're just not talking about it. So uh, yeah, it's totally changed my life. I've actually got uh, my first venue gig set uh, here in LA. So a bit nervous. <laughs> wow. Okay. I know that a lot of people fear public speaking, but to me, stand-up comedy is even one level higher. It's like the elite form of public speaking. I feel like it's the most vulnerable you can be because saying a joke and having the potential that no one laughs has got to be just terrifying. Um, yeah. And because people are like, oh, I feel like I'm going to die, and you do, but then you don't. And that's the, once yeah. you get past those few things, then it's the same thing, recovery and transition. Mm -hmm. I can bomb, feel like I'm bombing. I come off and everyone goes, that was great. But in my head, I'm like, I yeah. completely bombed that. So it's that same concept of recovery and transition and practice. And, oh, yeah, I will, like, there is, no, there is nothing that changes your, I don't know, your body and what you need to do and, and getting yourself pumped up to go on stage uh, in front of people that are sitting there crossing their arms. Like, I've had people before audiences just like you can literally hear them all groan when they announce like female comedian <laughs> I was in the beginning and I was like oh my gosh uh, female comedian coming to stage and it's just like a whole uh, bunch of groans yeah, I was like yeah, yeah. this is gonna be amazing <laughs> <laughs> wow like you mentioned too you think it's gonna kill you and then it doesn't it's, it's this nice reward knowing that you can get through things it it's not the event that happens, it's our perception of the event. I think that's a great way to learn it. When it comes to bombing, it makes me think of Norm MacDonald, who just passed away. He was doing the White House Correspondence Dinner, and he was totally bombing, and it's in front of all the politicians. And what his line was, and I thought it was so funny, and I've always remembered it, he goes, hey, don't worry, I'll be telling some jokes later. Just the way he rolled with it, I'm like, that is genius. Yeah, you got to have some uh, improv work in there with the yeah. audience, especially if you get someone that's a bit, little bit lippy yeah. uh, in front. <laughs> You're not the first person who said I tried stand-up as a way to learn new things. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. And I think like going back to right back to the beginning, that's a big part of my success is that I've always it now with business because every day I'm learning something new still. Um, when you're like taking on these things, that's what I would do younger. I was always trying to learn something new or improve on, on something. And um, I think that like, you know, getting yourself out there, like traveling is a big part of it and getting yourself in other communities and cultures and trying new things help your brain and ironically um, I kept doing stand-up during my TBI apparently I was terrible um, God bless that man that let, kept letting me up there um, and it actually helped me recover faster um, and the doctor was saying because you know it was like a, a muscle I was pushing it to an exertion that it didn't want to be I was affected by the lights the sound and everything like that I would crash for like a week after. I don't remember any of it. I was reading off, off paper, literally reading. I think they thought I was a joke and faking it, um, like being that like mindless. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, but it actually really helped um, reconnect it uh, a lot faster, which I thought was very interesting. I didn't do it on purpose for that. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. So many different layers to that. It's fascinating. I actually had my first, like uh, two weeks ago, my first... Um, I guess public sighting uh, where a guy came up out of nowhere and I haven't performed in years and he's like, are you a comedian? And all my friends are like, yes, 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 she is. He goes, I remember you. You're funny. And I was like, how? After two years and remember, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. He walked away. I was like, do you want an autograph? How does this work? <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Before I let you go, I got to hear a little bit about some travel. You've lived in four countries and you yeah. travel even more than that. 
when you think back to your travels this far, first of all, which is the location that makes you the most proud to visit? You're like, I am so dang glad that I went there. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I still have a, a soft spot um, for, you know, traveling to Indonesia and Southeast mm-hmm. Asia, I think because it was so close and grew up, growing up going there a lot and I lived there for a while. Um, you know, India. Okay. I've been to India a lot and um, there's just something that happens to you there and you really, if you're into yoga and meditation and, mm-hmm. you know, all the spice of life, India will test you. It's, uh, it's, it's beautiful chaos sometimes. Um, and I just love it. I studied yoga over there and I was also a flight attendant for Qantas. So I, I have been to a lot of countries as uh, for work, but then also was able to travel. Um, but I used usually on a holiday that I would like to, you know, just a vacation. Um, the best ones have been to uh, South America. So Peru mm-hmm. and places like that. I assume you did Machu Picchu. Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. And, and usually when I'm on um, travel, I will try and allocate, you know, some time to volunteer in a, in a village or an orphanage or something like that and try and make, help myself get into the community and the culture. I don't just okay. hot spot around to the, the tourist destinations. I try and make sure I get a real feel for how it works. It's very different everywhere and you learn so much. Throughout your travels, what's the food that you're still like, I would travel back there specifically just to have that or drink? Oh. Um, gosh, uh, I mean, I do love the seafood at home. Um, again, I think it would be in Bali. Okay. Yeah. um, Bali in Italy. Oh no, I can't decide. There's too many. (laughs) The food in Peru, everything like that. And look, a lot of the time too, this is coming from when I got to immerse myself in the, you know, in the culture and the community and it came with love. So some of the most simplest meals that I've ever had, like when I was in uh, Peru and they would go up in the top of the uh, and get the freeze dries to uh, potatoes from the top, bring them down and make soup. That soup I think about all the time and it was so simple and beautiful and, and I think just made with love and organic. Love it. What's next? What's coming up for Mobot and how can people find out more information and get their own Mobot bottle, especially the Big Bertha? That's the one that most people seem to be talking about. Yeah, Big Bertha. It's a good name too. It's a great name. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's the first one that I created for the athletes. They wanted something bigger and a lot more water. Um, and then the, that's a 40 ounce and then Grace is a 27 ounce. And Grace was named Grace because it's my wish for people to, you know, be able to approach life, show up, show up, show face um, and with a little bit of grace is like what we say. So, and then the little one's called Firecracker because it's deceptively useful and I love it when people go, oh my God, it's so cute. And I'm like, you obviously haven't used it before because yeah. it's pretty painful. Yeah. Um, so mobot.com uh, is where you can find the biggest range of colours and sizes. We're also at Nordstrom, Neiman Marcus. We're about to launch on Saks as well. So quite a few major retailers um, and Amazon, of course. Um, and what's next? Well, we've actually been selected for um, a, a, a TV show uh, that's uh, filming in the next few weeks that'll air next year. So I'm really excited. It's a, a highlight on innovation and sustainability and design. So I'm really excited to, to be part of that. Innovation and sustainable, two of my most favorite words. But I'm glad I met you. Yeah, thank oh. you. This is great. Um, I think I agree with you. Sharing more of the things that we all, that drive us and that we're passionate about is what's going to change the world. Thank Listen. you so much. Well, I look forward to meeting you in person one day soon. We'll make it happen.
Don't be a stranger. Yeah, we're in Venice. Not too far. Not too far. We'll make it happen. You know, I love travel, so it's perfect. And you can you can introduce me to a yoga spot over there. And that's oh that's yes, plenty. Perfect. Awesome. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for today, bud. We'll talk soon. All right. You're welcome. Bye. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Much appreciation to Lonnie. You can follow both Lonnie and Mobot Nation on Instagram. Everyone has a story. Each person a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Aviento. Aviento.